Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.59 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the first day of August 2023 and my alarm's going off. This is episode 767 of Bitcoin and we got a lot to cover today, man. Uh, we're going to get back into the curve thing and uh, we've got a better explanation of what's going on with the bald token. Yes, I know this is Bitcoin and <clears throat> I talk about Bitcoin, but I also have to warn you about the alt season that is upon us, and I'm going to be bringing you every fucking failure that there is so that you'll understand how to talk to your friends and family and get them to not, not, not buy bullshit. You don't want them. You don't want your friends and family poor. When your friends and family are poor, it makes your life worse. So help them help you live a better life and stay away from the scams that I'll be telling you about. What else have we got? We've got some, uh, well, we've got some conflict in the Ripple ruling. Finally, I knew it was coming. I just didn't expect it to come from here. What else we got going on? Uh, do, do, do. Yeah, DeFi implosion possibilities. We've got some announcements out of Noster. Uh, what else we got? We've got, oh, so we got some minor news. And, oh, and ATMs in Switzerland are, are shotgunning KYC. They're being forced to do so. We'll we'll find out more about that. But first, 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 I got Shishi. That's right. The Circle P is open for business. Strange things are afoot at the Circle P. What could be strange? Healing. You know, with your favorite plant and my favorite plant in the world, Comfrey. That's right. Shishi uh, sells comfrey. He actually sells two different kinds. He sells a Bocking 14 variety and the Bocking 4 variety. Uh, that variety, the Bocking 4, he got from me. So I can personally vouch for the Bocking 4 variety because I handled those genetics for like seven years. <clears throat> and I had to leave them all behind when I moved from Texas to Eastern Washington. But be that as it may, Shishi will send you whole roots for 20 bucks and you can split those up into multiple plants if uh if you if you if you want to you know like honestly it just the smaller of a root cutting that you begin with the longer it takes for it to regenerate in the ground that's all that's really going on there i've i've used root cuttings that are as small as my pinky finger you know like the first knuckle of my pinky and it's been fine but if you want to get those you got to go to shishi you can find Shishi on Noster at Shishi. Just type in S-H-I-S-H-I or at S-H-I-S-H-I. If you can't get it that way, his NPUB will be in the show notes. Uh, you can also get them at Shishi21M at ProtonMail.com. However, that is slower. 
Uh, each root cutting is a buck. You can get one full root for 20 bucks and you can cut that into your own little root cuttings. Uh, and you, you're going to pay the shipping. All right. So that's just, that's just the way it is. And he is part of the circle P because every time that you tell him that you're, well, you got to buy something from him. And then you tell him that you're buying it because you heard it from the circle P on the Bitcoin and podcast. He will give me a cut of that sale. And that's how the circle P works. If you have something like a good or service that you would like to get listed in the circle P DM me on Noster, man, because I sure as shit ain't on Deadbird. Now, let's get into this Ripple uh, ruling rebuke, because apparently it's complicating Coinbase's defense against the SEC, according to Berenberg. We're going to read this from Coindesk. Will Canny is writing it. Coinbase shares have outperformed the market following the United States District Court's July 13th ruling that Ripple Labs did not violate securities law by selling its XRP token on crypto exchanges. <laughs> however, <laughs> however, another judge from the very same district offered an emphatic rejection of that Ripple ruling today, Monday, or actually yesterday on Monday. Investment Bank Berenberg noted in a research report on Tuesday, quote, in his ruling, U.S. District Judge Jed Rakoff of the Southern District of New York rejected Judge Torres's distinction between institutional sales and sales to retail investors on crypto exchanges, which he characterized as a misrepresentation of the Howey test used to determine if an asset is a security. Rakoff's rejection prominently, no, not prominently, potentially complicates Coinbase's use of that ruling in its own case against the SEC, the analyst wrote. The bank notes that Judge Rakoff in his ruling made a direct reference to Judge Torres's ruling in asserting that the Howey test makes no distinction between purchasers. Mm. The Howey test relates to the U.S. Supreme Court case for determining whether a transaction qualifies as an investment contract. If a transaction is considered to be an investment contract, it's classified as a security. Another of Coinbase's defense against the SEC's case is the major questions doctrine, which is derived from a Supreme Court ruling that prevents agencies from exceeding their mandate, the report said. Terraform Labs invoked the doctrine in its own defense, and Judge Rakoff rejected its use, dealing yet another potential blow to Coinbase's defense. Uh, Berenberg maintained its hold rating on Coinbase shares with a $39 price target, reflecting the bank's view that the stock is uninvestable in the near term. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Coinbase shares were down 8% to $90.85 in early trading on Tuesday, uh, but have increased 155% so far this year. The crypto exchange reports its second quarter earnings after the close on Thursday. Okay, so while Judge Rakoff actually seems to have, you know, some kind of sense about him, and I, I know that there's a lot of people out there that are like, why are you why are you kissing the Howie Test ass? Well, because there are scammers in the universe. They do exist. They're all over the place. Right now, we're going to, or not not right now, but later on, we're going to talk about Curve and Bald. And if you, I don't know why people want people, other people to lose their money. I don't take any satisfaction in watching somebody as ignorant as they possibly could be losing their money. There's no, there's, there's just no joy in that, right? Yet, it seems that people are just 
they're just desperate. And it's that desperation that the scammers feed on. So while I have to say that I am a Bitcoin maximalist, I don't understand the pushback against the Howey test. It actually makes sense. Are you buying something from me with an expectation of profit that can only be uh, realized through the work of a third party? If so, ladies and gentlemen, you just bought a security. That is what a security is. Because if I don't do the work, you're not going to get a profit, but I still have your money. You see how that works? I have to execute to be able to have a shot at giving you your expectation of profit if you bought my stock or whatever it is that is deemed a security. Judge Rakoff seems to know what a security is and how the Howey test works. Annalisa Torres from the Southern District of New York doesn't. She doesn't get it. And she's putting a lot of people in danger because of it. And now we come to the real crux of the biscuit. All right. If Judge Rakoff's, or not decision, but his opinion, impacts Judge Torres's overall ruling on Ripple, yeah, we can all go rah-rah on the death of Ripple. But if it fucks Coinbase, <clears throat> and Coinbase is the people that who, or is the people that who selected to be their partner in crime on a spot Bitcoin ETF, that's right, that's BlackRock. So this has a little bit far-reaching or more far-reaching of a situation potential than just screwing over Ripple and, you know, basically bitch-slapping Judge Torres in the face because she made a very bad call on this. Um, If Coinbase goes down and and BlackRock was looking at Coinbase as somebody who was going to help them do the whole surveillance aspect of being able to offer the Bitcoin or the BlackRock Bitcoin spot ETF, well, then we've, we're going to have some serious delays on that. We don't necessarily need the BlackRock ETF, right? But there's a lot of people that are hoping for it. There's a lot of people that, and BlackRock wouldn't be doing this if they weren't being pressured by other forces, namely customers and other hedge fund managers that are part of their ecosystem. They wouldn't be even talking about this if it wasn't for the pressure of external forces. So you can love it or hate it, but if that thing goes live, there's going to be a a shitload more money that drops into the system, but not if Coinbase is on the ropes. And this Rackoff opinion could actually potentially cause that. So we'll, again, we'll have to see, but we're off to a better fish to fry FTX has released its restructuring plan. The zombie exchange is coming back because it's hinting at a rebooted offshore exchange. Would you trust FTX? Would you have anything to do with FTX? If you said yes, stop listening. Most of you said no. Almost all of you said no. I hope every single one of you said no. You wouldn't have anything to do with it. So the question becomes why? Why even try? Just Rename it. Do something else. Don't bring FTX back to life. It's bad, but it's outlined its intended reorganization plan. And this is, by the way, from Cointelegraph being written by who? Gareth Jenkinson. It is outlined its intended reorganization plan, which will categorize claimants of the bankrupt exchange into specific classes and pave the way for the exchange to become 
operational as an offshore entity. Dockets filed on July the 31st include a draft plan of reorganization that outlines the company's intended path to settle an exceptionally large and complicated collection of claims. Oh, you think? There are a total of 13 different classes of claims, including specific brackets for FTX.com customers' entitlement claims, U.S. customer claims, and non-fungible token customer claims. The global settlement will involve the valuation of claims in U.S. dollars on a valuation methodology prepared by FTX that has yet to be approved by the bankruptcy court, including disputes over assets held on the FTX and FTX U.S. exchanges. FTX plans to identify three primary recovery pools that will correspond to the segregated assets attributable to FTX.com customers, FTX U.S. customers, and assets that the company contends are not attributable to the two defunct exchange arms. Users that held NFTs will also have their own separate classification. I don't really care. You guys got hosed no matter what you did. So we'll can, we'll skip that. The document features recognition of special shortfalls claims by two FTX exchange organizations against this third pool of general assets. That's intended to compensate the exchanges for the unauthorized borrowing and misappropriation of assets that former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried and his close associates are accused of carrying out. The filing also outlines the intent to cancel intercompany claims as well as the extinguishment of FTT claims. That specific clause hints that holders of FTX token will not be compensated at all for their token holdings. They're screwed. The value of FTT collapsing played a pivotal role in the collapse of FTX in 2023. The final section of the proposed plan covers the intent to liquidate the estates of FTX to pay out distributions to customers and creditors in cash. However, a clause notes that customers may be offered voluntary elections in connection with a restart of an offshore exchange. That's right, zombie FTX coming at you live. This would see a provision for specific creditors to opt for a share of equity tokens, and other interest in a potentially rebooted offshore FTX exchange. That's a security. Just pausing to let you know that what that sentence basically described in totality, a security, a share of equities, tokens, and other interests with an expectation of profit executed by a third party. That's another security. Nobody learns anything. I swear to God. The final section of the proposed plans covering the intent. Oh, what is that? Uh, This would see a provision for specific creditors to opt for a share of equity tokens and other interest in a potentially rebooted offshore FTX exchange. But under bankruptcy proceedings, FTX has sued Bankman Fried and and other implicated directors in an attempt to recover over $1 billion in alleged misappropriated funds. The July 20th complaint names Bankman Fried as a defendant alongside former Alameda Research CEO Carol, yeah, Carolyn Ellison, FTX co-founder Gary Wang, and former FTX engineering director Nishad Singh. So, yeah, guys, it... I've I've talked about this at least three or four times on the show because this has popped up ever since FTX went belly up is the thought and the the people are actually maneuvering 
to resurrect this creature from the Black Lagoon so that it can do what? Steal your money again. There is nothing about this that makes any sense whatsoever. I, I can't imagine what any of these people are thinking. The brand, the damage to the brand of FTX is so profound that I'm trying to figure out who in their right mind would actually want to do business with FTX in any capacity ever again. It would have been easier to, under the table, rename the whole organization and then bring it out of mothballs, but in a way that looks like it's a brand new thing. So you got to ask yourself, why they're sticking with the FTX brand, even though that brand name has been utterly, completely eviscerated. Who's doing what, where, and why? And don't be part of it. The, you, we can speculate all we want on why this is being done. But the easy answer is, I don't know, because Jesus wants it that way. The way to protect yourself is to not do business at all with FTX and warn your family and friends. If for whatever reason, somebody that you don't really know that well, maybe a co uh, coworker says, hey man, there's this new thing called FTX. Go, oh, oh dude, that's not new. Let me tell you all about it. All right, so just be sure that you help protect your people, your loved ones need your protection more than anybody else. All right, so Bitcoin Magazine, Nick Hoffman Bitcoin miner GDA announces the opening of three, count them, one, two, three new data centers. Genesis Digital Assets, one of the world's largest Bitcoin mining companies, has announced the opening of three new data centers in South Carolina's western region. This expansion is part of the company's strategy to establish a stronger presence within the United States, as currently GDA accounts for 2% of total hash rate of the Bitcoin network. And since February 2023, the first data center has been operating near the town of Anderson, South Carolina, boasting a total capacity of 18 megawatts. Not long after, in March of 2023, the other two facilities located between the towns of Union and Lockhart commenced operations with a combined capacity of 15 megawatts. The Anderson Data Center was constructed using North American built infrastructure equipment, repurposing an abandoned textile warehouse. 95% of the personnel involved in constructing the two other facilities were hired locally from within South Carolina itself, fostering economic growth and creating nearly 150 jobs, with 125 of these positions being filled by local contractors instrumental in setting up those data centers. Quote, I am extremely proud of the entire GDA team for opening these new facilities in only a few months, said Ankit Joshi, GDA's head of North American operations. Quote, we were impressed to see how these local communities welcomed us so warmly as an opportunity for their economy. End quote. Coffee time. Hold up. The choice of South Carolina as the location for these data centers was not accidental. The state's abundance of clean energy sources played a significant role in the decision-making process. One of the data centers, the Pacolette facility, is situated just three miles away from two hydroelectric generation plants operated by Lockhart Power, a major renewable and clean energy supplier in the region. 
Additionally, the Anderson Data Center is equipped with Hitachi's environment-friendly dry-type distribution transformers, and it will serve as a vital resource for Duke Energy in strengthening the local energy grid by returning excess power when it's needed. Quote, the opening of these new data centers is perfectly in line with our commitment to expand our fleet on clean energy resources, said Andre Kim, the CEO of GDA. Quote, our goal is to be industry leaders and show the world that Bitcoin mining can be very ESG friendly. Stop using the word, dude. Don't use ESG anymore. And don't acknowledge people that use that. Hell, even Larry Fink is not using it anymore, and he's the guy that actually brought it up in the first damn place. Like 15 years ago, we've been having to deal with this ESG nonsense, and even the guy himself is like, you know what, I'm kind of bored. I'm kind of bored with it. So you don't fall into that bullshit yourself. Uh, what else do we have here? Oh, we got this one, which is going to be a little bit interesting and a little bit different. However, it is still Bitcoin-focused. <clears throat> Excuse me, a martial arts of liberation. Bitcoin and the capoeira fight together. What the hell is capoeira? And I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Capoeira? C A P O E I R A. It's a martial art, and we'll get into more of that because it's going to be written by Moon from Bitcoin Magazine. Capoeira, often superficially described as dance fighting, is a self-defense style that arose organically out of the forced melding of cultures between different slave or African slaves in Brazil during the 18th and 19th centuries, although its history is likely older than this. Today, it has evolved into a popular and globally recognized martial art known for devastating kicks, devious sweeps, and dazzling acrobatics, Presented are examples of capoeira being played slowly and beautifully, quickly and aerobatically, and more aggressively with takedown attempts. Behind all the flashy moves, however, is a much deeper essence. The true seeker finds that capoeira is a way of being that fully encompasses African expressions of fight, dance, music, art, ritual, spirituality, and philosophy into one in a pursuit of liberation. Over the centuries, it has been shepherded, protected, and propagated by a nomadic, decentralized, warrior-sage trickster culture that has rebuffed every attempt to suppress, institutionalize, centralize, or destroy it. What does that have to do with Bitcoin? Well, first, in capoeira, which I have practiced since 2005, and in Bitcoin, I see kindred cultures of liberation that can learn from and benefit one another. And I believe the two complement each other extremely well as parallel paths for radical liberation, one through body discipline and the other through sound money, and both, interestingly, building up similar habits of mind. Second, where much of Bitcoining is objective, rooted in mathematics, capoeira is much the opposite. It's a mystery. Fluid, emergent, always changing, always challenging, a thing to be experienced, but never fully known. Yet, despite these differences, just like Bitcoin, capoeira bends the practitioner into embracing unending learning and demanding the practitioner's acceptance of ceaseless, unyielding change. We capoeirists say that capoeira changes you. And as Bitcoiners, we know full well that Bitcoin does the same. Finally, capoeira is a practice that forces the development of jest and good humor 
sounds like memes, the ability to strike and take strikes, to both fall hard and knock others down just all the same, all with a laugh and a genuine smile and a presence devoid of heavy emotions like anger, jealousy, or pride. In this, Capoeira, while still fully acknowledging a dangerous and adversarial world, offers a healthy counterbalance to the type of dour humorlessness that sometimes finds us in Bitcoining. Let us consider some other interesting parallels. Mysterious origins. Much as the real-world identity of Satoshi Nakamoto is unknown, the genesis of Capoeira is unknowable, a secret lost to time in the wide, dark belly of the Middle Passage. However, much like with Nakamoto's identity, many competing theories and much debate on the subject of Capoeira's origins persist. Capoeira was persecuted in Brazil and even formally outlawed from the 1890s to the 1930s. Pushing it underground gave rise to the apelido, or nickname, used to shield the practitioner's legal identities from the state and from each other. If one capoeirista were caught by the law, they'd have no one else to give up. The most a lawman could get would be a list of silly aliases that could represent anyone. Today, many capoeiristas will simply introduce themselves by their apelido, and as with the Bitcoiner's NIM, no further questions need to be asked. While there are now and have always been leaders in capoeira, there is no leader of capoeira. Each mestre or master teaches in their own way, each group is different, and the groups themselves are constantly merging, (coughs) separating, and reforming. And, as the human body is the only requirement for the practice, capoeira exists wherever the people are, which is to say anywhere and everywhere. No wonder past attempts to exterminate it have always been futile. This is, of course, an inspiring parallel to Bitcoin's own decentralized and leaderless persistence. Where Bitcoiners speak of OPSEC, the capoeirista or malicia, a heightened and ever-present adversarial awareness. However, in the game of capoeira, you do not fight capoeira, you play it. Players do not block attacks, rather they move with the attack, dodging out of the way. Thus emerges capoeira's revolving circular game of flow where every defense sets up the next counterattack and every attack finishes in defensive or evasive postures. The skilled capoeirista is always thinking several moves ahead, anticipating their opponent and changing their movements in an attempt to misdirect, confuse, and entrap. In the larger game of everyday life, militia manifests as an adeptness in reading people, the ability to anticipate human situations well before they arise, and therefore to position accordingly. Capoeira is an artifact of slavery and oppression. It empowers the individual, particularly one who cannot afford to attack head-on, to leverage every part of their body, hands, feet, elbows, knees, arms, legs, hips, head, torso, and even to pursue extended periods of inversion as unexpected and shockingly effective tools of self-defense. And in so liberating the body, Capoeira also unshackles the practitioner's mind to think and see differently and to plan or or plan for or to put into motion whatever is most unexpected, to become adept in navigating the vagaries of an unpredictable and unjust world. In the historical context, capoeira has always been a sly roundabout thing that the system could not stop. 
Capoeira stood as an asymmetrical challenge resistance to the prevailing exploitative system of the time. Similarly today, Bitcoin provides an asymmetrical opt-out of the fiat system, especially for those who cannot confront the system head-on. Here, Bitcoin allows us all to behave like Capoeira players, foiling rather than fighting, dodging rather than engaging in placing ourselves, always just out of reach of the system's attack. So what then can the Bitcoiner learn from Capoeira? And what can the Capoeirista learn from Bitcoin? Well, for the Bitcoiner, it can offer a greater appreciation of whimsy, play, and mystery, along with unexpected avenues to physical fitness, self-defense, and cultural enrichment. While Capoeira can be plenty lethal when necessary, it cares not about winning or losing. It's not to beat, dominate, or destroy an opponent. Capoeira is simply to play, to enjoy the thrill of the danger, and to reveal in the beauty and mystery of conservation made by human bodies in motion. Capoeira teaches you to defend yourself, to think differently, and to think ahead, to be a fit body and sound mind, but also to dance and laugh well always, because one day, surely, you will die, so you'd better enjoy the ride. For the Capoeirista, well, Bitcoin offers what it offers everyone, True liberation to store value, free from theft and debasement. But here, the Caparoista ought to find double significance, as this is so much of what was denied to the very people who created Capoeira under the heavy thieving chains of slavery. Bitcoin is also a perfect complement to its culture of individualism, liberation, wandering, and informal economy. Finally, Bitcoin stands to free people, particularly people in the third world, from money and systems that oppress and steal, an objective that couldn't be more aligned with the heart and history of Capoeira. Bitcoin and Capoeira, the two most enriching communities I have been fortunate enough to be a part of, and I do hope that you might learn from one another, Oxe and Happy Bitcoining. And I guess it's Oxe, it's A-X-E, and E has a little... uh, accent mark on it so i'm guessing it's oxe anyway i've never heard of this martial art before now i'm not a martial artist so i'll i'll, I'll give you that but you you know i've heard of jujitsu and judo and karate and uh like all kinds of other like all kinds of other ones oh krab maga for like the I, I, that's the way it's wrong that's that's the wrong way to say it but it's like some kind of Israeli military martial art that's like all kinds of ancient. And then there's like Tibetan stuff. And there's just all manner of martial arts. Never heard of this one before. But it sounds really interesting. It does sound <clears throat> like drunken boxing. Because from what I understand about drunken boxing is that it's a way that you sort of dance and you move with the attack rather than try to block it so that you're not really using your energy you're allowing your energy to be redirected in so far that you kind of look drunk. You just kind of look like you're hammered. Right. But, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go up against somebody who was drunk in boxing. So just, just saying that one, um, what do we got here? Oh, Bitcoin ATM firm Biddy takes on Swiss regulator for undemocratic KYC limits. No bullshit. Bitcoin, uh, no BS Bitcoin.com bringing you this one. Biddy. The operator of 45 Bitcoin ATMs in Switzerland is moving ahead with a complaint against Financial Market Supervisory Authority, FINMA, 
for lowering the limits on Bitcoin ATM transactions that require users to reveal their identity. So we got shotgun KYC going on over here in Switzerland. Quote, anyone using a Bitcoin ATM in Switzerland must now do a KYC check. In other words, reveal their identity if they transact more than fifteen no wait one thousand one hundred and fifty dollars over a thirty day period. So that's a thousand francs. A thousand Swiss francs. If you do a thousand and one Swiss francs over a thirty day period, you're gonna have to KYC yourself. Oh boy. This is being implemented in an undemocratic way. Normally, this ordinance only applies to firms that have a license with FINMA. It doesn't apply to companies like Bit Biddy or Western Union or any wealth manager. But there's a soft power system at play here, which is very blurry. Whenever FINMA puts something in their own ordinance, all the other self-regulatory organizations have to follow the rules. The background for lowering the threshold is not only the institutional or rather international standards recommended by your friends at FATF, but also the high money laundering risks associated with such services. Roussel pointed out that FATF, which informs regulators about things like, you know, lowering transaction thresholds for identifying people in the financial system, is a non-democratic system and has no jurisdiction in Switzerland. So far, Biddy has crowdfunded over 20,000 Swiss francs to pay its legal bills. You can follow their campaign or contribute to their legal fund here. And if you want to know what that is, it's btcpay.nymte.ch. It's a little, that's a uh, kind of a mouthful, but it is what it is. And Lee, oh, I got to reload this. Hold on for a second. Primal's been weird lately. My Nostra client for a desktop. Uh, okay, Sue Hale. S-U-H-A-I-L is his name. He's on Nostra and he has a note here with a little video. It says, working on a live document collaboration application over Noster. And indeed the video shows that he's able to edit a document in a Noster environment. And that is those edits are transmitted over the wire. I guess through relays, not exactly sure how it's being done, but live and in real time, the person on the other end that's checked into the same room, think Noster nests uh, is getting those edits. And likewise, that person on the other end of the chain can make their own edits. And it looks like it's all marked down language. So headings, fonts, colors, the whole, if it, if it's in markdown, you can get it here. So if you want to collaborate with somebody over Noster on doing document design or editing or whatever, well, now Noster can do that shit too. Let's run the numbers. got our first down day for energy in general starting with west texas intermediate crude down half a point to 81 dollars and 37 cents britain or sea likewise down half a point to 84.95 natural gas however is down three and a quarter points and gasoline is down scant 0.13 percent to two dollars and 89 cents a gallon All your shiny metal rocks having a bad day. We'll start with gold, 1.45% at the downside, now back under $2,000 an ounce to $1980 on the dot. Silver is down two and a half. Platinum is down two and a third. Copper down two and a half. Palladium is down 3.81%. 
and agriculture is fully mixed. Biggest loser today is wheat, 2.74% to the downside. Rough rice is the winner today, over 2% to the upside. I got live cattle up one and a quarter. Lean hogs down 1.13% and feeder cattle up one and a quarter as well. Indices sucking swamp water. I got Dow down 0.04%. S&P down almost a half. NASDAQ down a third. And the S&P mini down two thirds. Real money having its day in the sun too. $28,939. Yeah, we went down below the 29000 mark sometime last night, I guess. <clears throat> it is what it is. It's the bear, that's the bear market. This one sucks. I hate this bear market. Everybody hates all the bear markets. I hate this one more than any other person has ever hated any Bitcoin bear market in the history of bear markets of Bitcoin. So I'll give you that one. Average transaction values are uh, 0.5 BTC. Median transaction values are standing around $30. Block times are high. 10 minutes and 22 seconds. We got 0.12 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 17 and a half in fees overall in the last 24-hour period. And with 11 0.5% drop in hash rate. We're back down to 371.44 exahashes per second. I start. I am really starting to think that a lot of this has to do with redirection of electricity out of Texas. Because when, I mean, Texas is, is hot right now. Why? Is it, cli- is it climate change, David? Is it global warming? Are the polar bears dying? No, man. Texas has always been hot. I grew up there. It was never not hot in this, at least in the summertime. So all the people that are saying that this shit is like just the worst summer ever. Yeah. Spend 50 years in Texas. All right. Do you do that? And then you tell me how bad every summer is every summer that comes around. So fucking a dude, but be that as it may, these wild swings and hash rate lead me to believe that ERCOT <clears throat> is pulling as much energy as they can to cool down people's houses, especially in central Texas uh, and North Texas and all the way. Well, actually, you know, everywhere except the panhandle of Texas. Why? Cause that's not on ERCOT. That's on the same power grid that's handling Oklahoma. Right. <clears throat> so it's, it's a little different over there. Lubbock is on ERCOT, but everything North of Lubbock is on a completely different grid. So just keep that in mind. But Texas is a big state, and if it wants energy, it's going to get a lot of energy, and they're going to get that from the miners. So that may be what's going on. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge, 7.7 United States pennies. Uh, $561.3 billion of market cap is a mere 4.29% of gold's market cap. There are 19,444,986.8 Bitcoin in circulation, and 4,723 of those are in the Lightning Network. Valued at $136.3 million. We have 16,330 nodes that we know about, sporting 68,792 payment channels that we can see, and 72.2% of all of it's being run over Tor. Looks like we got about 118 blocks carrying 296,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear with high priority transaction fees of 11 Satoshis per VBYTE, low priority of 10. And everything under four and a quarter Satoshis per VBYTE is being purged from mempools around the world. Mempool.space is showing hash rate at 353.7 exahashes per second. So that's actually kind of low. 
but there's more security on Bitcoin right now than we would ever need in a lifetime. So I'm not really concerned about it. I am concerned about the fact that I am now all the way down to number 23 on (laughs) fountain charts. My bear market is mirroring the bear market for Bitcoin, I suppose. But with help from people like Nick underscore dose with two, three, six, nine Satoshis, uh, maybe it'll get better. He says, cheers. In either event, we have better fish to fry. That's right. Dubrovko with a thousand says, if you like my comment and respond to it, I'll like your comment back with more sats than you sent. And nobody's taking them up on that. <laughs> Menard uh, with 500 says, yeah, Photobolt has big potential. Cheers. I agree. Pipe Bomb with 500 says, all my sats. Jim Leahy uh, with 300 says, thank you. Uh, and O2ZX with 250 says, zappity doodah. O2ZX with another 250 says, no respect for influencers nor the influenced zappity day. Pies with 250 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. And that's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Sometime late last night, Wallet Satoshi put up this note on Noster. says, hey, iOS users, you might notice a small change in your Wallet of Satoshi app. The buy and sell with fiat options are no longer in the Apple version, but they're still going strong on the Android version, of course. While these options won't, excuse me, while these options won't be returning to iOS due to certain constraints, we're developing an alternative solution for you. Stay tuned for updates. Rest assured, all other features of Wallet of Satoshi are working just as you've come to expect. You can continue to send and receive payments without any hitches. We appreciate your understanding and patience. Keep on stacking those sats. So Wallet of Satoshi apparently got told by Apple that they are not allowed to have an application on the Apple iStore that allows people to buy and sell Bitcoin with a fiat. And I'm not exactly sure because I've I've never used that function in Wallet of Satoshi, although I do use Wallet of Satoshi. I've never bought fiat for it. So this makes me wonder about Strike because you can buy and sell Bitcoin with Strike for fiat. Um, We'll have to see. But Apple looks like it's going the way of the Dodo. And, you know, I was listening listening to some podcast yesterday and a, a guy said, <clears throat> where are you going to put your money? Apple, Google, you know, God forbid Twitter or what is now X or Y or Z or whatever they're calling it. So what if, you know, what if what we're finding out, and this is the important part, he's like, what if we're just now finding out that it's just all tech hype? And I tend to agree. Think when was the last time Apple has released a really good on-fire product? The last one I remember is the iPhone. And the one before that was the iPod. But the iPhone has been the iPhone for all of its iterations. It really hasn't changed all that much. You know, people are just buying new iPhones. And honestly, that seems to be their own re- their only revenue model. I'm getting the feeling that we might see some serious decline in Apple. 
because they are pissing off their customers. They're basically doing what Elon is doing, saying, hey, I'm only going to help my very good personal friends or the people that can do something for me. I'm not really going to give a shit about the, you know, regular customers, you know, the plebs. We don't really care about those guys, even though that's the majority of your money. So Walter Satoshi has now fallen prey to the assholes that are over there at Apple. So we'll have to see how they deal with that. Now, your daily dose of utter, unrelenting shit coinery. Curve Finance Founders' $100 million debt could trigger a DeFi implosion, according to a report. Ezra Reguera from Cointelegraph, before I read it, I have been saying <clears throat> that the collapse of Binance and the collapse, the total and, and complete collapse of the, well, GBTC, honestly, if both of those collapsed, that that would signal to me that we are at the end of the storm. I didn't think DeFi had anything left in it to give. Apparently, I was wrong. You know, it's okay. I can be wrong every once in a while. While Curve Finance is still weathering the aftermath of a recent $47 million hack, another issue concerning hodlers of the decentralized finance protocols token has surfaced on the internet. On August the 1st, crypto research firm Delphi Digital published a Twitter thread detailing the loans taken by Curve Finance founder Michael Egorov that are backed by 47% of the entirety of the circulating supply of Curve DAO or the CRV token. <clears throat> According to the research firm, Ergov has around $100 million U.S. in loans across various lending protocols backed by 427.5 million CRV tokens. On Aave, Ergov has 305 million CRV backing a 63.2 million Tether loan. Delphi Digital noted that at a liquidation threshold of 55%, the position is eligible to be liquidated at 37.6 United States pennies. At the time of writing, CRV is trading around 59.7 pennies. This means that a 36% drop could potentially trigger a liquidation. <clears throat> On Frax Finance, Ergoff has 59 million CRV backing a debt of 15.8 million Frax. While the amount is lower, Frax lends time-weighted variable interest rate makes the loan more risky. The loan is currently, get, the, get these numbers, okay? Listen closely to these numbers. The loan is currently at 100% utilization. And because of this, the interest rate for the loan doubles every 12 hours. While the interest rate is only 81.2%, Delphi Digital said that it can go up 10,000% in 3.5 days. This can lead to liquidation regardless of the price of the CRV token. Recognizing the risks, Ergoff has already made moves to lower the debt and utilization rate by paying a total of 4 million fracs in the last 24 hours. However, as soon as Ergoff pays, users are quick to remove that liquidity. 
To combat this, Ergov deployed a curve pool to incentivize liquidity towards the lending market. The pool gained $2 million in liquidity just four hours after its launch and decreased the utilization rate from 100 to 89%. Various community members commented on the situation, with some comparing it to FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried using FTX token as collateral, while others are describing it as a black eye for the industry that could set the industry back by a few years and spooking those who were considering dropping their or dipping their toes into DeFi. Cointelegraph reached out to Ergov, but of course did not get an immediate response. (coughs) Okay, so we got a guy. That's got these loans out. And as far as we can tell, he's just used all the money for the in the loans. Like whatever, I don't know what he's doing with the loans, but he doesn't have any in reserve. So he's literally writing everything that this guy has on these loans is writing on the price of the CRV token. But the one that captures my imagination the most here is this one on Frax Finance because it's the smaller loan, right? But it's a hundred percent util in it. It's in one hundred percent utilization. <clears throat> but the interest rate, see, because I didn't, I don't know about shit coinery, so therefore I, I don't know about these adjustable rate loan interest rates. It's it's ridiculous. But an interest rate of eighty one point two percent all by itself scares the living piss out of me. And the fact that 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 interest rate can double every 12 hours and hit 10,000% interest rate in 3.5 days, if that thing buckles, then what happens to the 305 million CRV that's backing the 63.2 million Tether loan? I see dominoes is what I see. And I could see it happening with what ends up being a simple, what is it? Um, 15.8 million fracks, which I assume is pegged somehow to the United States dollar. So we'll say $15.8 million. Okay. A mere $15.8 million could actually cause a complete collapse of the DeFi ecosystem because it's already teetering after what? Three Arrows Capital, FTX, Alameda Research, BlockFi, that entire thing that started this, all this, Terra Luna is in there too, right? DeFi was, just got lunched. They're not, DeFi has never been healthy, but it certainly isn't healthy right now. I could totally see a sub $16 million loan taken down and burning through what's left of that forest like a raging fire. I was about to say that I hope it happens. It's just that so many people are going to get wrecked. I just, I, I don't want people to get wrecked, but this fire is being set up, man. This thing is being set up like a son of a bitch. Justin Sun's trying to help him and DCF God and others are lining up to buy curve finance founders, CRV tokens. This came after it was published after the the story that I just read you. This is from Navish Rutsky out of Decrypt. The founder of Curve Finance has bought himself some breathing room amid a recent exploit on the decentralized exchange. 
the principal value of Michael Argarov's loan on Ave dropped from 63.3 million to 54.1 thanks to help from backstoppers. He deposited around 37 million CRV tokens worth around 22.2 million today, according to the transaction history of his wallet. Kerr Finance suffered an exploit earlier this week due to a vulnerability related to the Viper programming language. And then hackers made off with crypto assets worth 52 million, including 7.19 million worth of CRV tokens. Uh, which were, again, worth $4.52 million. The move also plummeted the price of CRV. The CRV price plummeted to two-month lows of $0.59 following the attack. If the price of CRV had hit $0.37.2, then Ergoth's position would have been blown the fuck out. Several known DeFi personalities like Tron Foundation CEO Justin Sun, Power DeFi user DCF God and Jeffrey Huang, aka Machi Big Brother, God, these names have since stepped in buying CRV tokens from Ugarov. According to on chain security firm PeckShield, Sun, Justin Sun, exchanged 5 million CRV tokens worth $3 million per CoinGecko data from Ergov for 2 million in Tether's USDT in a direct over the counter trade. Sun later confirmed in a tweet saying that he's excited to assist Curve. God, this guy. Ergov later received 1 million in USDC and USDT stablecoin from Cream Finance Multisig Wallet and $1.5 million in USDT from Jeffrey Huang, also known as Machi Big Brother. Nansen analyst Sandra tweeted that Egorov transferred over 50 million CRV tokens to other entities, which include DeFi user DCF God and the Web3 investment firm DWF Labs. All told, including deals made by those identified, the total amount Egorov sold was around 50 million CRV at 40 cents per token, earning close to $20 million. The scam runs in a circle. Every time somebody is about to die the death of a million planets, here comes who? Justin Sun. To backstop. With what cash? The shit he stole from you when you bought Tron. And it's going to continuously prop up the shitcoins casino and the whole DeFi ecosystem that backstops it now. Nothing good is coming from this because why? What's coming on the horizon? What's what's almost on the shores? What the boat's pulling up to the fucking dock, and what is it? Alt season. Why? Because of Annalisa Torres and the Ripple ruling. We got ourselves a mess because now we got a judge saying that that ruling was incorrect in his opinion, and he's out of the same Southern District of New York. Man, it's a mess. We got Coinbase that's all caught up in that opinion. Because if that opinion somehow or another reverses the court's decision-making later on down the road and we find out that Ripple is 100% security from end to end, which it is, then DeFi could get blown out, Coinbase gets blown out, GBTC gets blown out, the owners of Coindesk get blown out, well, GBTC and Digital Currency Group is the owner of all that, Coindesk, GBTC, that's all Barry Silbert's outfit. That all, it, it's like it could all burn down together in something that matches, if not eclipse, 
what we saw with FTX, Alameda, Terra Luna, Three Arrows Capital, BlockFi, you name it. We could see that could be the other end of the storm that I've been looking for. I just didn't see DeFi as being part of it. But now I think that DeFi is definitely a potential player in what might actually happen. And we've got more. We've got bald. We've got bald, ladies and gentlemen, bald meme coin. Now, I, I talked about it a little bit yesterday, but we were running short on time. My voice was going out. So let's do this one. Now that Decrypt and Matt DeSalvo have had time to digest what the fuck was going on with bald, we'll, we'll find out ourselves. Bald meme coin on Coinbase Layer 2 goes to zero as dev pulls liquidity. Just one day after a flurry of activity on its highly anticipated shitcoin number one Layer 2 network, and it looks like scammers use the freshly minted bald token to target Coinbase's latest product, Base which America's biggest cryptocurrency exchange hopes will be a new ecosystem for crypto projects launched earlier this month. Traders yesterday rushed to buy the new tokens running on the network using decentralized exchange Leet Swap. But today, it looks like one of those new tokens, Bald, which dropped yesterday, was a rug pull after the token's deployer removed $25.6 million worth of liquidity. Rug pulls are notoriously common. Yeah, we know. They happen when a developer launches a new token and it makes it seem as though the project is legit and then removes the liquidity and disappears. Really? What do we get? Do we have something for that? No, we don't. Uh, disappears. Just gone. Just, and that's what he says. It's like, what, what does it say? Uh, removed liquidity. That means took your money and left. That's what liquidity is, is the money. I don't know that now I've seen this term used the last couple of uh, stories that I've read about this kind of shit. Remove liquidity. Liquidity is now replacing took your money and run. I don't know, but whatever. Bald, a meme coin poking fun at Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong's lack of hair, today plunged in value by 92% according to CoinGecko data. The token had exploded in price by over 3,000% in a single day after its launch. The on-chain intrigue Telegram channel tracked the wallet after pulling liquidity. It revealed that the wallet went on to buy more bald to add some liquidity, sent a bizarre tweet seemingly tricking more users to buy the token, and then removed all the liquidity again. It's a double rug pull. It's like... It's like a triple cheeseburger, man. It's like a triple rainbow. It's a triple rainbow. It's a triple rug pulled. No, this one's a double, but I guarantee you one of these days we'll see a triple. The same account has since denied accusations of having sold tokens, claiming to have added slash removed two-sided liquidity and bought. The user then agreed with some who replied to the tweet, pointing out that the token had, in fact, been sold. Okay, Matt Aaron, project lead at Celio, which runs on-chain intrigue, told Decrypt that the situation was puzzling because the wallet moving the funds was a sophisticated whale holding large amounts of CBETH, Coinbase's shitcoin number one liquid staking token. Liquid staking tokens can be bought, sold, and swapped for other assets. The CBETH can also be redeemed for the shitcoin number one that was staked to mint it. Quote, allegedly, 
This same wallet has KYC'd their wallet on a centralized exchange. Uh, that I don't know why they ended with that one, because that's sort of a brutal ending to the article, but it, the article has indeed ended. Ball token. So that's sort of what was going on. So we got a guy who made a meme coin and was able to get, what, $25.6 million in a day. If you think that alt season isn't capable of doing even worse damage than it did back in, I don't know, whenever Ethereum came out and then like all through the 2016, 17 and 18 uh, cycle, you're fooling yourself. There are plenty of people left to rug. And this guy rugged them not once, but twice in a row. Now that one's new. Usually somebody rugs somebody and they just go away. This dude hung around and fooled people into thinking that everything was going to be okay and then rugged them again. It's going to be worse. Again, I'm asking you, it's a plea. I'm begging you. I'm on my knees begging you. Actually, I'm not. I got my ass planted firmly in a chair, but you've got to talk to your friends and family before they really do something stupid there. You're, if you're thinking that you're going to wait for them to call you to ask you, don't, don't, don't. If they've ever asked you about anything, whether it Bitcoin or DeFi or shit coins, if you've ever, ever heard them even utter an interest in it, I guarantee you they are drooling right now and they are needing a call from you, their friend or loved one to tell them to stop drooling just buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin like Pablo does. Why am I talking about Pablo all of a sudden? Well, as soon as my freaking browser comes back to life, I'll tell you Pablo F7Z on Nostra says these things are blooming. Another data vending machine client just popped up. Get data vending machines to compete to solve a GitHub issue for you. This thing is going to onboard so many use cases and developers. It's hard to get my head around it. Okay. <clears throat> He's, I brought you yesterday a uh, photo bolt. Okay. That was an example of a data vending machine. This one is different and I am not a power user of GitHub because uh, I don't use it for, you know, pull requests and programming and stuff like that. I, I have an account. I'm not, I'm not a developer, so I don't use it the way that developers use it. Right. So I don't know what GitHub issues, uh, Pablo might be talking about. However, this is the second data vending machine that he's found out in the wild that is doing the same thing. It's reaching out to AI agents for lack of a better term and having those agents say, or, or go find the cheapest way to have some problem solved and bring it back to the user so that user can make a decision as to which service it's he or she is actually going to purchase to get a problem on GitHub solved. But this brings us into something else. And I'm going to read this one as the last one, and then we're going to talk about what it is that I'm getting at here. Savannah Fortis, Cointelegraph, AI mentions skyrocket in major tech companies' quarter two calls. 
In earnings calls for the second fiscal quarter for major tech companies, the mention of artificial intelligence has skyrocketed compared to the previous quarter. The S&P 500 companies that look, took the lead in discuss, discussions surrounding AI included, included Google's Alphabet, Intel, Microsoft, and Meta, along with others who increased talks around AI such as Cadence Design, IBM, ServiceNow, Moody's, and Omnicom. In Intel's second quarter call, AI was mentioned 58 times compared to 15 in its first quarter call. Alphabet's call, AI mentioned 62 times and Microsoft 58, both up from 52 and 35 times in previous calls respectively. Tech companies aside, Reuters reporting reveals that in the first two quarters of the year, the hype surrounding AI has helped create a 37% surge in the NASDAQ. While Microsoft, backing ChatGPT's OpenAI, Meta, and Alphabet have been active in the development and deployment of AI systems and tools, Intel has been behind in the AI boom. According to Reuters, the company's data center and AI business lumped by 15% in the last quarter. These numbers confirm trends that can easily be clearly spotted in the market. Microsoft, Google, and OpenAI formed the Frontier Model Forum on July the 26th in an effort to regulate AI development. Only a few days prior to the creation of this forum by the biggest tech companies in the AI business, this same group with the addition of Meta committed to developing safe and secure and transparent AI to the United States White House. On July the 13th, reports circulated that Meta plans to release a commercial version of its AI tools to rival those already on the market from OpenAI and Google. Following this news, Meta and Microsoft announced a collaboration to launch an open source large language model called Llama 2. All right, so we've got mentions of AI off the charts in tech companies, quarter two reports. How does that have anything to do with data vending? And how the fuck does either one of those have anything to do with Bitcoin? It's the data vending machine. That's the key. That's a linchpin. Now that I understand way more about what Pablo was trying to describe with the quote unquote data vending machine. And now that I've seen at least one example in the wild and Pablo reached out to me and said, did you not see my video that, you know, I did like weeks ago when I was talking about data vending machine and sadly the answer is no, Pablo, I, I didn't. And I feel, feel kind of dumb. Uh, I will be watching it. I guarantee it. But I, I think I know enough to say this. There's this thing on the street. Oh, everybody's going to abandon Bitcoin because AI is here. Well, first of all, you don't understand AI and you certainly don't understand Bitcoin. Bitcoin's not an investment. Bitcoin is a money. Invest AI is an is not also an investment. However, it is a technology held by private companies, and you can buy those companies, and that is an investment. All right, so that's one of the reasons why you're getting this this fud saying, "Oh, well, Bitcoin's over. Now we have AI." No, you don't understand either system. It's like when we talk about AI, Bitcoin, Lightning Network, and data vending machines all in one then what we're what we are giving the public is everything that they don't understand about bitcoin added with everything that they don't understand about ai all right so where is it that i'm sitting here i see the data vending machine as the user experience that bridges bitcoin via the lightning network 
to jobs that AI can do for you, right? And the more people, because there's two ways to interact with AI right now, you can use it and learn about it, like use chat GPT or MidJourney or Stable Diffusion or any number of these things, you know, Langchain, right? So start actually using the developer tools to start doing some funky things behind the scenes, right? You can get answers by, by using it. You get answers like you're not just playing with it, but doing things like asking it to, you know, help me design a new manifold for a Ferrari, I don't know, a Porsche Boxster or something like that. You you get my drift actually helping you solve a problem. You can do it that way. Or you can simply invest in Google and hope they make, you know, their share price goes up 20% because they're going to be involved somehow in AI. That's not using AI. The more, I think the retail, at retail level, you're going to see more people actually using AI than investing their money in the companies that are backstopping AI. And therefore, they will have direct experience with that UX, that AI UX. And data vending machines are going to give them the ability to pay for that shit and they're not going to have to enter in a credit card. And the more that retail sees that bridging between Lightning Network and Bitcoin, well, the bridging between, okay, this is what it is. Data vending machine is a Lightning Network enabled bridge between the hardest money in the world and this brand new thing called AI that actually will do shit for you if you know how to use it. That UX bridge is going to be one of the most important things for both of the ecosystems that is AI and Bitcoin. And then when AI itself starts being able to use the bridge that is data vending machine itself, shit's going to get real weird because it's going, AI is going to look at this and go, Well, I can't have a credit card or a bank account because I'm not an actual legal entity on the planet, but I can use Bitcoin. Guess what it's going to do? You think it's going to fight for its right to be sentient? No, it's going to take, it's going to be like water. It's going to take the easy way out. And Lightning Network is the easy way out. So even AI is going to start using Lightning Network and it's going to be doing it through the interface of a data vending machine. It may not look like anything Pablo think it's going to look like right now. It may not look anything like or act anything like the the example that CJ was talking about yesterday. But that's what the day, when you want to get down to it and you say, what is a data vending machine? It is the bridge between Bitcoin and AI enabled by the Lightning Network. If you think about it that way, it becomes a simple system and one of the most on fire things that can happen. The real ignition behind something is when a UX is so stupid simple and it uses a whole bunch of complex stuff, but buries it in the background of the user experience and you don't really see what's going on behind the scenes. Then you get mass adoption. And if you get mass adoption of data vending machine, then you're getting mass adoption of both Bitcoin and the Lightning Network and artificial intelligence all at the same time. So that's one of the other reasons why you should not be sleeping on artificial intelligence. You may hate it. You may think it's evil. 
You may think it's here to destroy us and you may think it may succeed, but it's not going away. And if you're not going to learn how to use it, then you will be one of its earliest victims. And I don't mean to end the show on a negative note, but that's just the way it is. I'm here for facts, brother. I'm not here for fucking conjecture. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says, jokes for a Tuesday. We all know about Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. But have you heard about Cole's Law? It's thinly sliced cabbage. Coleslaw, get it? I recently came to like coleslaw. Why? Because my wife actually makes it good. You know how much coleslaw I'd like, especially when I was a kid, I'd go out to like, you know, the neighbor's barbecue or whatever. And there's this huge bowl of coleslaw. And it's just like this awful thing that your parents keep trying to stuff in your mouth because it's good for you or whatever. Oh, I fucking hated it. Hated it. Hated it. And then my wife, who can pretty much cook anything under the sun, she could walk into a five-star restaurant and basically reverse engineer the entire menu. And and we've done it. (laughs) That's why I get so disappointed when I have to spend a lot of money at a nice restaurant when I'm going, I don't don't see what the big deal is. We cook this way at home all the time. But anyway, she makes coleslaw, and it's actually really, really good. Uh, Do not sleep on the data vending machine. Uh, If you're not following Pablo F7Z over on Noster, you need to rectify that situation toot sweet. And then through him, you'll find CJ and a couple of the other people that are working with uh, data vending machine theory, I guess is the best way to put it. But it's beyond theory now. There's shit that exists in the wild, and I am all over this. This makes so much sense because it is that lightning network bridge between Bitcoin and artificial intelligence It's a user experience that's just waiting to explode and catch the world on fire. When it does, because it will, you might not want to be standing knee deep in the forest. Uh, You might want to get out there to the edges so you can run, lit the fire, do what it's going to do, and then you can go back and collect all the cooked critters for your meal that night. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.